Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. Who is Jesus Christ? At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. John chapter 1, verse 14 says this, The Word, which is the Lord, God the Son, 100% deity, became flesh as Jesus Christ, a human being, 100% true humanity, just like you and me, and he lived among us. And we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten one from the source of God the Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ was full of grace and full of truth. The Lord Jesus Christ is the sovereign God of the universe. He is the Jewish Messiah. He is the Savior of the whole world. And in the world, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Well, it's exactly the same in Christianity. And who you believers in Christ know is the Christ, the Messiah. And why does Barah Ministries exist? At Barah Ministries, we make a difference by teaching the Word of God from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. We are Christians, and we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 warns, False prophets also arose among the people just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce false teachings, teachers denying the deity of the master who created them, bringing sudden destruction upon themselves in the lake of fire for all eternity. We always ask you to compare what is taught here to what the Bible says, and you are responsible for that. You are not just passive people who are designed to just sit around and believe anything anybody says. You're, you are to inspect what's being taught and then to see if the Bible says it is so. Who is God's enemy? It's Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. In John chapter 12, verse 31, the Lord says, Now judgment is upon this world, and now the ruler of this world, Satan, will be cast out. He will be dethroned at a future time, and we will enjoy watching that dethroning. Satan is a creature. He is not a symbol of evil. He is not a concept. He isn't red with a pitchfork. He is a perfect, brilliant, gorgeous, well-dressed officer angel, and he was a genius. And if not for God's protective power, we would be defenseless against him. Our most effective weapon against his insidious deceptions is the Word of God, as the Lord demonstrated in Matthew chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Here's what happened. And the tempter Satan came and said to Jesus, after Jesus had fasted in the desert for 40 days, if you are the Son of God, that's a first-class condition, if, if and it's true, if you are the Son of God, and of course you are, Satan knew exactly who he was talking to. 
command that these stones be made bread. Matthew 4, 4, but Jesus answered and said, it is written. What is Jesus doing? Exactly what I'm telling you to do. If you're hearing something, compare it to what the Bible says. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Man shall not live on physical food alone, but man shall live on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And the words that come out of the mouth of God, the words that come out of the mind of Christ, are all written in the Bible in 66 books, 27 of which you're responsible for. Believers in Satan deceives the whole world, including you and me. He doesn't want you to get to know God, and he interferes with your chance to know God. Believers in Christ are not fighting for the victory in this life. We are operating from victorious ground. We are in union with Christ since the moment of our salvation through the baptism of the Spirit, and we have the victory over Satan through our Lord who has overcome the world. Today's Bible lesson, how you treat your body matters. How you treat your body matters. And we are not talking about your physical body. We're talking about the body of Christ. We're talking about ourselves as a community. Well, what is the community? Simply stated, a community is a group of people with common interests. Barah Ministries is a community. Our common interests include our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and our desire to learn His Word. How well is Barah Ministries functioning as a community? Well, what I see is when somebody has a birthday yesterday, then somebody takes them out to dinner or someone else bakes a cake. And when some members of the community don't live locally, someone organizes a homecoming. And when a pastor needs a little encouragement, somebody creates Pastor Appreciation Weekend. I'd say we do pretty well as a community. This is a place where our common interest isn't only the Lord and His Word, but our common interest is each other as well. Love for the brethren lives here. In reflecting on our study of 1 Corinthians, and we study as we study the final 122 verses of it, the Apostle Paul makes it apparent that he isn't just talking to the individual believers in the first century Corinthian church. He's not just talking to the elitists. He's also teaching about community. And in today's lesson, we'll hear, Paul, we'll hear Paul's message about how important it is to build up the body of Christ. My mouth is not working particularly well today, but that's life. All right, well, let's hear some music. The memory span of a goldfish is about three seconds. Wouldn't it be great if we had the same ability when it comes to things that go wrong in our lives? Wouldn't it be just nice if we just forget it? Instead, we like holding on to and rehashing the past even when doing so doesn't serve us at all. The Apostle Paul, who was committed to wiping out the Christian church by both killing and by supervising the murder of Christian men, women, and children, must have had a horrible time erasing those memories. Yet in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, he told us what he does. He said, brethren, which is a reference to believers in Christ, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of spiritual maturity yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind 
and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Philippians 3.14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God the Father in union with Christ Jesus. You know, as I was putting this verse in, I was thinking about all the relationships I have where they keep bringing up the past and where they keep rehashing some single event that you did that offended them and forgetting the 1,572 things you did that were for their benefit. Isn't that funny how that is? Is, that, is it that way for you or is this just me? You have people in your life who can't forget your past. You try to forget the past and they want to bring it up all the time. You have that happen to you? Tell me. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Jesse. Amen. Well, are you worried about what other people think of you? I am not. So don't worry. As the group for king and country says in song, God only knows the real you.
is it kind of love that God only knows? God only knows for king and country. Yeah, we've been through a lot, haven't we? Over the last year, we've been through a lot. God knows all about it. Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, we know you take care of the big things in our lives, like our so great salvation. You sent your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to die as a sin sacrifice for us, shedding his blood on a cross to save us. Father, today we also thank you for all the little things you do for us. Thank you for settling our debts Thank you for providing us with soulmates. Thank you for the friends you give us. I'm especially grateful for the friends you've given me within Barah Ministries, lifelong friends who are of the same mind, people who have moved across the country to study with me, people who have brought their friends to learn here. Thank you for the ability to conceive children. Thank you for the healing of our bodies. Father, nothing is too big for you or too small for you when it comes to us. You've got us personally in mind. You've always had it that way, and it will always be that way. Father, help us to obey you. Teach us how to reject the influences that tempt us to disobey you. Show us how to use the gift of faith you have given us to remove doubt. Lead us to a life of sacrifice and out of a life of selfishness. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, how you treat your body matters. How you treat your body matters. We continue our study of 1 Corinthians at chapter 14. And just as how you treat your physical body matters, how you treat Barah Ministries and its members as your spiritual body matters as well. And that's what the Apostle Paul is teaching us about in this passage that extends from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And so we move on in our study to the next section of this three-chapter passage. Now the passage began at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 1. It says this, Now concerning the spiritually gifted ones in your congregation, brethren, the spiritual elitists, you fellow believers in Christ. I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts since you're so smart and so knowledgeable. Paul's being sarcastic here because there was a lot of Greek influence in Corinth and everybody was into wisdom and logic and knowledge. And the spiritual life is higher than that. It's about more than knowledge. And as we learned over the last couple of weeks, What the highest principle is in the spiritual life is love. Our ability to have God allow us to love our neighbors as well or better than we love ourselves. We remember that whatever Paul says now concerning in this 1 Corinthians letter, he is addressing a new issue that has been asked of him by Chloe's people. And what they were asking him is to address these people who were flaunting their spiritual gifts of gift of tongues, and saying that it was better than everybody else's gift. Uh, The Greek word for tongues is glossolalia, glossolalia, I think it is, but uh, it means a gift of the tongue. Chloe's people have asked the Apostle Paul to address this problem of the spiritual elite 
who are lording their spiritual gift of tongues over the others, acting as if their gift was more special. In chapter 12, the Apostle Paul makes these points. All believers are spiritual because God makes them spiritual at the moment of salvation. So all those dating sites where the the people are saying, well, I'm not religious, I'm more spiritual. Yeah, if you're a believer in Christ, you are, and if not, you're just using meaningless words. Each believer in Christ has a grace-given spiritual gift from God, and you learn about that spiritual gift by getting off your arses. You don't learn about that spiritual gift by waiting for a pigeon of success to fly over your head. You learn about the spiritual gift through action. The Holy Spirit distributed these spiritual gifts just as he wanted to in his sovereignty. And God the Holy Spirit expects us to use the gifts for edification, that is, the building up of each other. And a lot of biblical analogy is about construction. It's about building up, because that's what the Christian way of life is doing for you. It is building you up, and it is making you into an amazing person. In, and, and are erecting you in the image of the Godhead. So, uh, God the Holy Spirit expects us to use the gifts, and our spiritual gifts are not to be used to create division, which is what was going on in the Corinthian church. The spiritual elite in the church at Corinth didn't get the Apostle Paul's memo about not using spiritual gifts against the others. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul teaches the foundation on which spiritual gifts and their use must rest. Unconditional love. What is unconditional love? It's no matter what love. If married couples would get that, that they're married no matter what, they wouldn't be so quick to pull the trigger and look for the the quick out of divorce. And believe me, divorce is not an out. And believe me, whatever lie Satan is telling you about how great it would be not to be with the person you chose, he is wrong. He is lying. It's horrible. There's nothing great about it. It is the two who have become one flesh, becoming torn flesh. It takes a long time to heal from it. What do most people do? Do they go off into their cave and lick their wounds and heal? No, they get right back into another relationship and put off the process of healing for a really, really long time. And so there's nothing to that. Please don't believe that disunity is better than unity. And that's what we're being sold in the world. What we're being sold in the world is we don't need any real friends. We just need our our phone. And we can have fake friends, this big list of fake friends on Facebook. And all we have to do is click a little button, and then we have friends, and then we have a list of 300 friends. These people are not your friends. Call somebody today that's on the friends list and tell them you need $1,000, and let's see how many friends you you get to send you $1,000. They are not friends. And for most most of the situation, they're not acquaintances. But what what has been done is we have been isolated. What is the criticism that is made of the the millennial generations, the 30-year-olds and below. The criticism is they have no empathy. Why? Because they don't have to interact with people. They don't have to fight with people. If they're having a conversation, which is what they call text messaging, which is not a conversation, it's monologuing at a screen and misinterpreting everything that's coming. It teaches you to isolate. It teaches you to 
to, if you don't like what somebody said, just reject it and go on to something else, but it doesn't give you any skills to fight. And then you get in a relationship, and what happens? Somebody starts yelling at you. Well, what are you going to do? Turn off the phone? You turn off the phone, and they're still there yelling at you. It doesn't work. See, we're, we're being taught that this is the way that we should have relationships. It's not relationships. It's not, why do we, uh, we don't have to come to church. We can be in the non-resident congregation. Well, look, if you live in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, I get it. If your church is in Phoenix and you live in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, you have to be non-resident. But there are people around here who think it's really cool to be in the non-resident congregation who are right here in Phoenix who get their asses out of bed and drive over here. And why don't they? Oh, because, you know, I don't have to go to church to worship God. Yeah, that's correct. What you have to go to church for is to get rejected by a bunch of people. That's why we go to church. Because when you get rejected by a bunch of people, then you can learn unconditional love. Right? That's why we're in relationships. We're in relationships to learn, a bunch of, to learn unconditional love. I say I'm handsome, you don't say anything. Yeah, no, you're not. Okay, that hurt me a little bit. I'm going to get over it. I still love you. I'm going to still teach the lesson. Right? I, I'm going to get over it. So it's going to be all right. <laughs> so the spiritual elite in Corinth didn't get the Apostle Paul's memo that they need to be nice to the people that are in the community. They didn't get it. So Paul teaches that the foundation of your spiritual gift has to be love. Unconditional love. Mark chapter 12, verses 38, uh, verses 28 to 31 say this. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing, and recognizing that Jesus had answered them well, asked Jesus, what mandate is the foremost of all? Now, the, most of the translations you see will say, what commandment is the foremost of all? And then you'll go right back to the Ten Commandments, but that's not really what the word is saying in Greek. What is it that you have ordered us to do as human beings, that is first and foremost of all. Mark 12, 29, Jesus answered, the foremost mandate is, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu. Hear, listen Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. The Lord our God is the uniquely born one. Mark 12, 30, and you, you shall love the Lord your God unconditionally with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. All God wants from you is three little words, all. Mark chapter 12, verse 31, the second mandate is this. You shall love your neighbor unconditionally as you love yourself unconditionally. And there is no other mandate, singular, interesting, greater than these. What is he saying? That here we are as a person, self. We have this part of us called the self. Our self worships God. And how do we worship God? Through faith. We place our confidence in Him. Then, in the matter of ourselves, we always have hope because we know that the God that we have faith in has made 7,000 promises and put them in a book telling you exactly what He's willing to do for you, like anything you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Promise. So that should give you hope because he never breaks his promises. And by the way, anything you ask in prayer that doesn't contradict something else in the Bible, don't be asking for somebody's spouse, you know? 
You know, what's the, I was listening to a song. I, I was listening to a song this week. Oh, it's sad to belong to someone else when the right one comes along. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Just stick with your decision. Make your, live your commitment. Don't be looking over the fence. Ain't nothing over there. Amen? Amen. Keep your butt on your own side of the fence. So, here we are in self. We worship God through faith. We have hope because of the promises. And then we love others. There is the three-dimensional life that God has for us. Love him. Love others. But key, love yourself. Yesterday in my prayer life, I made a commitment that every day I'm going to start my day in prayer for 30 minutes. I'm going to read. I'm going to journal. This is something I should have done long ago, but I was a pray-on-the-go kind of guy. And I was much more interested in studying the Word than in stopping to pray. So now I'm doing this prayer, this prayer life. Three days into it, Satan is full out in my face attack bringing up all the past, bringing up all these thoughts about all the mistakes I've made. You know, now, how do you know it was Satan? Well, if it was God, it would be one thing. With Satan, it was 12, 13. I mean, I'm writing down names of all the people I've hurt in my lifetime. You know, Mary Ann. I haven't seen Mary Ann since third grade. I'm sorry I hurt her feelings. She wrote me a note. I like you. Do you like me? Yes, no. I check no. I'm sorry I hurt her feelings. She wasn't cute. And I had a crush on Karen. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, Marianne. But I mean, Satan was reaching. He went all the way back and surfaced all this stuff. And I had to call my man, Pastor Farley. And, you know, I, he and I do this for each other. And he said, okay, let me remind you who you are. Whenever you forget who you are, call me and I'll remind you who you are. And he just started one after another. Here are all the people that you've helped. Here's, here's how you helped me when I first met you. Do you remember I was a Roman Catholic? And then the next thing you know, you evangelized to me and I became a Christian and then a pastor. You even remember that? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's major credit, too, ain't it? I mean, it's like, does that get me a better neighborhood in heaven? Does that mean I'm not going to be in the neighborhood with June? <laughs> that's not June. It's not going to be right. June is not going to be next to me. Take that back. <laughs> oh, man. I will definitely... I will definitely think that God hates me if that happens. I swear. I swear to you. <laughs> He's not listening to that prayer. Do not pray that prayer. All right. <laughs> Great. That's just beautiful. Eternity. Oh, my God. Now, Paul teaches then that a spiritual gift without love is a miserable cacophony of sound that is screeching to the ears. And then Paul goes on to teach that what, what love is and what love isn't. Love is kind. Love does not count wrongs. He's got that whole list uh, in uh, 
1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7, plus a little bit of 8. Paul closes chapter 13 with the news that some spiritual gifts end when their usefulness is outlived, and he breaks it to the Corinthian elite that the gift of tongues, the spiritual gift, the spiritual elite are flaunting, is on its way out. Now, this letter was written before the completed canon of Scripture. Okay? The Bible is called the canon of Scripture, and it was not finished. And the way God communicated with people before the canon of Scripture was finished is in dreams, through prophets, in various ways of direct and indirect contact, through angels. That's the way he got through to people. So once this was closed in A.D. 90, he stopped doing it that way. Tongues was a warning to the Jews that they were about to be destroyed. And when that outlived its usefulness, then it ended. And there are still people today who are standing up in churches and saying this unintelligible stuff that nobody understands, not even them. And then maybe there's somebody there who is pretending to be an interpreter and who is pretending, <laughs> June Shigner, yeah, that's exactly, I used to be an interpreter, amen? And pretending to interpret what they don't understand either. And these people in the Corinthian church, the elite, are saying that because they're doing that, they're special and more spiritual than the others. Please. Okay, I understand it back then a little bit because the canon of Scripture wasn't closed. It wasn't finished. But I don't understand it at all today, and it's still happening in churches all over the place today. So, next. Let's continue our study of this passage. This chapters 12, 13, and 14. At chapter 14. And the first part of the first section we're going to take on is verses 1 to 19. Here's, here's what they say. Keep on pursuing unconditional love, Paul talking to the Corinthians. And if earnestly you're zealous for spiritual gifts, especially be zealous for the best gift, the gift of prophecy. Okay, that was a scratch, a record scratch. <laughs> Because all the people who had tongues thought that they were all that. And Paul was saying, yeah, it's not tongues. Prophecy is better than tongues. Interesting. Where's Paul going with this? 1 Corinthians 14, 2. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but speaks directly to God. For no one understands. But in his spirit he speaks mysteries. He understands. 1 Corinthians 14, 3. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. Why? Because God sent a message to the prophet, and the prophet let it come out of his mouth. Very much like what pastor teachers do today, except we have to actually go study. I think it would be a lot more easy if I had the gift of prophecy, and he would just talk to me, and I'd just say what he's telling. But no, we have to go study and spend 20 or 25 hours a week pulling up the message to give to you. But back then, it was God speaking directly to the prophet. And that was more valuable from Paul's point of view because it edified people, it built them up, it exhorted them, which is it called them to action, get off your butt, 
and it gave them consolation when they were hurting. 1 Corinthians 14.4, one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the whole church. Interesting. And so what Paul is saying is that people who are using tongues the way the Corinthian believers are using the tongues are pretty selfish. 1 Corinthians 14.5 Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more I wish that you would prophesy, because prophecy is a lot better than tongues. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues, unless the person who speaks in tongues also interprets. What Paul is saying is, okay, if you're speaking in tongues, that's great. But if the people in the congregation don't understand you, you better tell them what, is, what you're talking about or else you've isolated them and you're being selfish. So the church may receive edification when you also interpret. 1 Corinthians 14, 6. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, maybe I will, maybe I won't. What will, I pro- what will it profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or by way of knowledge or by way of prophecy or by way of teaching? What good is it if I just stand in front of you and go, bat, da, 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 is what he's saying. 1 Corinthians 14, 7. Yet even lifeless things, he's using an analogy now, like a flute or a harp in producing a sound, if they don't produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or the harp? In other words, if a flute and a harp are playing together, they need to have music that coordinates so that the sounds they're making come into one sound. And I was thinking of the Northwestern Marching Band. We, got a, you know, we, we can't go to any football games anymore, so we got a, a Zoom call. And so first... The flutes were on, and then a couple more Zoom things popped in, and then the trumpets were in, and they were playing Go You Northwestern, and I'm weeping. It's like, oh, my school mama mater is so great. But look, it, it's really, it was really interesting to hear how the individual parts worked, but that song works because all the individual parts are playing together. That's what Paul is talking about here, and he's making this connection to spiritual gifts. You got one person standing up, bap da bap da bap da and not edifying the others, and it's like a flute playing boogie on reggae woman, and then the the harp is playing, um, it's sad to belong to somebody else. They're playing different songs, and the songs don't coordinate. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 8. Or if a bugle, which was the, the instrument that called people into warfare, produces an indistinct sound, the sound that the military guys are not expecting to hear, who will prepare himself for the battle? 1 Corinthians 14, 9. So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? You Pentecostals, I bet you never saw that verse, huh? Bat the bat the bat. Because that would have blown it up for you. That would have blown it up for you just as sure as Romans chapter 6, verse 14, blew up my Catholicism and my systematic theology. Romans 6, 14, sin shall no longer be sovereign over you. Oops, bye-bye, Roman Catholics. You're not under the law. Oops, bye, systematic theology. You're under grace. Hello, Christianity. See, when you know the truth, it blows up the lies. 
If you don't know the truth, then you stay in the lie. So, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? You'll be speaking into the air. 1 Corinthians 14.10 There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without its meaning. I have been all over the world. I've heard a lot of languages. O-M-G. Wow. And you know what's kind of funny to me? You know, most communication happens through body language. So when I'm in other countries, I can pretty much tell what's being said through body language and tone because the words are less significant. But anyway, you can't talk to people, and it's really frustrating not to be able to have the vocabulary that would allow you to communicate to people. 1 Corinthians 14, 11, If then I don't know the meaning of the language, I will be the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. Barbarian is one of my favorite words from my study of Greek. And as you, you know, and as I've told you, I read and write Koine Greek. But the, the Latin word for barbarian is barbaros. And do you know why they call people barbarians? They call people barbarians who didn't speak Greek. And why did they call them barbarians? They would laugh and say, well, when they talk, they sound like this, bar, 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 bar. So they called them the barbaros. It's hilarious. Well, that's what he's saying about people who speak in tongues, that they just sound like bar, 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 bar. You can't understand the thing they're saying. 1 Corinthians 14, 12. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound in the gift that edifies the church. Prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14, 13. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may also interpret. If you're going to speak in tongues you better interpret it too. 1 Corinthians 14, 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit in the inner man prays, but my mind is unfruitful because it's not communicating to anybody. 1 Corinthians 14, 15. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the mind also, and I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. 1 Corinthians 14, 16. Otherwise, If you bless in the Spirit only, if I'm only talking to God, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say amen at your giving of thanks since he doesn't know what you're saying? Now, here was Paul's real problem. Paul's real problem wasn't just how we interacted with believers. Paul's real problem was, what if an unbeliever comes to church and you're doing that crap? What do unbelievers think when they come to church and they don't understand what's going on? They think we're all crazy. That's what Paul was worried about. And most unbelievers think Christians are crazy when they go to these Christian churches and watch these goofy practices that we do. 1 Corinthians 14, 17. For you're giving thanks well enough, but the other person's not edified. And that was Paul's big concern. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all, However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. In other words, it's better to say five words that people understand than a thousand words that they don't. Well, the theme of this section is Paul recommending 
that the spiritual gifts built on the foundation of love be used for edification of the body of Christ. Just as it matters how you treat your physical body, it matters how you treat your spiritual body. When we return from the break, we'll take the offering, and then we'll get an overview of what Paul is teaching the Corinthians in chapter 13, because what he is teaching them is what he is teaching us as well. And that actually ought to say chapter 14, because what he's teaching them is what he's teaching us at well, as well. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. With all the other not quite, will all the never get it right. But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time Cause I'm just a nobody We're trying to tell everybody We're all about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus Living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil Start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I say I'm, I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to see I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus For the world to see Nobody but Jesus So let me go
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, How You Treat Your Body Matters. How You Treat Your Body Matters. God expects us to give one way. The way someone with the spiritual gift of giving would give. Romans chapter 12, verses 6 to 8 say this. It's actually 6 and 8. Since we, have, we each have a spiritual gift, and that's the Greek word charisma, charisma, Since we each have a spiritual gift, a gift that's different according to the grace given to us by God, each of us is to use the spiritual gift accordingly. Romans 12, 8b. He who has the spiritual gift of giving, he is to exercise the gift with liberality. That's the way God expects us to give, with liberality. And when we give with liberality, we choose voluntarily to be generous without undue influence from past giving hurts. A lot of us have given and been burned, and so then we don't want to give anymore, or we fear misuse of our contributions. Well, that doesn't happen here at Barah Ministries. We use your money very well. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. And Barah Ministries is a worldwide Christian church. <clears throat> this is a place for real people who want to listen to real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God. And lately I've been hearing a lot about repetition, a lot of people griping about having repetition in their lives. It comes from my kids, you know, that we're telling them all the time, put your socks on, put your socks on, put your socks on. They just get sick of us telling them what to do. I put, clean up your room, clean up your room. People at work, they get sick of it. i got to build boxes all day, box after box. Same thing, same thing, over and over. And, you know, it's just people complaining, you know, and then even have it at church. I think back over time, I can repeatedly have the feedback that we're sick of repetition. We're sick of hearing the gospel. We're sick of hearing about offerings. We're sick of this stuff. And it's funny because repetition is really a great thing in life. You think about our age. It repeats every year. We have a birthday. You know, are we going to cancel that out, you know? And then think about the, there are these how the Flintstone vitamins. Do you remember those as a kid? Well, I took those as a kid, so I don't have to take them anymore, right? Or do we have to take vitamins every day, repeatedly? That's how they work, right? How about breathing? How about breathing, exactly. How about waking up? How about brushing our teeth? You know, some people could use that more, probably, like two or three times a day. <laughs> you know, health and exercise, those are things we have to repeat. You can't just work out once and then say you're good for the rest of your life. You need to do reps every day. You need to add up because somebody else is working just as hard. You know, you think about your career. You've got to wake up every day and do the same thing, get to work and answer the phone or whatever it is or build cabinets or do real estate, you know, or like Denise helping people. It's, there's so many things that are repeat in our lives. And how about relationships? They're repetitive. You know, we have things we need to do with those relationships every day. And hopefully there's some repetition in the bedroom, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> But, I mean, even got, like, pizza. Who doesn't like pizza, right? I would eat pizza every day. My kids would eat pizza every day. That's repetition. But some of the, some of the things, let's, you know, get down to the spiritual side of things. What does the Bible say? First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Rejoice always. How, how, how much? Always. Make it a habit to pray. 
What's a habit? Something you do every day, all the time, like Pastor said. And in everything, whether adversity or prosperity, give thanks. So that means basically all the time you're giving thanks. For this is God the Father's will for those of you in union with Christ Jesus. So rejoice, rejoice always, make it a habit to pray, and in everything, whether adversity or prosperity, give thanks. So you see right there in the Bible it says that we're repeating things. And so you think about something that's also good is we repeatedly turn away from evil. And that's what church allows us to do. It gives us that, that rudder in our soul. And we think about God's love. It repeats every day. Every day when we wake up. All night when we're sleeping. And just, just like that, giving repeats. Just like you give to, your, to the body, you give to this church. And this is something that helps everybody learn about Christ and learn that repetition isn't bad. We can all use it. It's the way to learn. And so, you know, thank you for always giving it the offering, and we truly appreciate Pastor for all he does and all the work he does each week. So thank you very much. Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, How You Treat Your Body Matters. How You Treat Your Body Matters. 
Well, we'll be studying 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 to 19, verse by verse next week. But in preparing for the study of this section, some things jump out at you that you should be aware of relating to us as a body of Christ. And I want to start with the kids. I don't think kids think about treatment too much. And I don't think that kids think about the fact that the things that they do indicate treatment towards somebody else, right? So walk up to a kid, and the kid doesn't say anything to you, right? The kid knows you, doesn't say anything to you. That's treatment. And do you think the kid ever thinks, I might, the way I'm treating this person, I might be hurting their feelings? Do you think they ever think about that? Do kids ever think about the fact that when they're in Bible study, sitting in a way too relaxed pose, that it's insulting to the pastor? You think they ever think about that? When the pastor sat on a chair yesterday for 13 hours preparing the lesson, studied for 20 hours during the week just to come and serve a spiritual meal, do you think the kids think for one second that it might be a little bit insulting to the pastor, how they're treating the lesson that they're getting? and that they consider the food to be a lot more important than the lesson? Because kids treat people certain ways, too. This is not just an adult phenomenon. And the thing that I, don't think, that I think that gets lost on kids is that if you practice something for 21 years, which is 0 to 21, it pretty much locks in as a habit. And if you lock in treating people poorly, do you think that at 21 years old, on your 21st birthday, it's going to magically switch? It doesn't. You keep doing it. And then when you develop these bad habits of treatment, you attract people who treat you the same way. And then you have this fake wedding where you're pretending like it's you're Cinderella and he's Prince Charming. And then you're divorced in two years with two kids. That's real life. Now, I don't think kids think about that too much because I think a lot of parents, a lot of us as parents don't treat kids like they're aspiring adults. You know, I remember uh, getting told a lot of times, leave them. They're just kids. My answer was always the same. No, they're not. They're not kids. They're aspiring adults. And I'm going to teach them how to leave my house with an adult soul to match their adult body. And this, this didn't register for me until I saw a teacher of my kids when they, they were three years old, a Montessori teacher, say to a bunch of three-year-olds, get control of your body. And these kids, boom, snapped into it. The kids did exactly what she expected to have done, which taught me kids can be trained. But are they? And when we tell people how they ought to be, do they listen? Because, you know, a lot of times we're around people that are a lot more successful than us. I, I pride myself on surrounding myself with people who are more successful than me. For example, 
I have a way that I invest money in the stock market. And what I'm learning is that because of machines making a lot of the transactions, now in the stock market, the way that I'm investing in the stock market is obsolete. And there are people who are experts at that, who are looking at me and telling me that the way I do things is kind of old. That's old school. Okay, so what am I going to do now? What am I going to say? Oh, no, buddy. You know, I've had a lot of success with this in the past. I'm not going to say that. I'm going to learn what the new way is. But that's not how we are as human beings. We create this little comfort zone that's about the size of a, a one inch by one inch square. And then we run around in that little comfort zone. And we don't investigate at all who we can become. We don't think about how important treatment is. You know, when you're online, you don't have to worry about treatment, do you? But when you're here face-to-face, -face, you do have to worry about treatment. And how you treat people matters. Whether you're courteous to the people, do you lift chairs for people, do you invite other people to sit down first, how you treat people matters. This, these are the things that Paul is getting across. And it's not just for adults, it's for kids too. And it's never too early to learn how to treat people because treatment is central to being an effective human being. So we're studying these verses next week, but here are some things that jumped out at me in just it, not only in studying for, for chapter 14, but in all the study. In preparing for our study of this next section, I want you to go back and read the first 13 chapters of 1 Corinthians. Okay, that's a request. I am one of the great coercive leaders of all time, and I can harp on you and make you do it, but I'm requesting that you do it and that you exercise your free will voluntarily to do it. Just see where we've been. And then feel free to look ahead a little bit and see where we're going, because we've got three chapters to go. And I'll have uh, the first 13 chapters as we have uncovered the verses will be available. We'll put a link in the newsletter so that you can easily get to it. It's about 40 pages of things, but it goes really quickly. So what are some of the things that are available to learn in the chapter we're about to study, chapter 14? How we treat the body matters. That certainly applies to our physical body, but much more importantly, it applies to our spiritual body, the body of Christ. Too bad on the physical body side, I didn't learn how to treat my body until I was 60, 65 years old. I lost 56 pounds in the last year. I finally learned how to treat my body. Because I wasn't treating it well, what I, I was doing is pouring poisons into it. It's the same thing we do on the spiritual realm. We pour poisons of false truth false doctrines into ourselves, and it completely negates the truth that's in us. We, don't, we, we, we need to stop doing that. Because here's what they don't tell you about your physical body. You can reverse diabetes. I'm not talking about type 1. I don't know much about type 1, but I know type 2 can be reversed with food. And no doctors are telling you that because doctors don't, they don't believe in prevention. They fix stuff when it's broken. Virtually any condition you have can be reversed, and food is a drug. And it makes a big difference. 
getting weight off of you is huge. My doctor called me and asked if I wanted to have a physical. And I told him, no. I'm healthier than I've ever been in my life. I don't even care what's going on in my body. Now, growing up with a hypochondriac mother, I think that's progress for me. <laughs> because I would never consider doing anything like that. But, but this is us as human beings. We just settle for stuff. We think because we got fat, we got to be fat. You don't. You can treat your body differently. It's the same thing can happen in the spiritual body. This spiritual body can make, this could be the congregation that makes the biggest difference in Phoenix in terms of evangelism, winning people to Christ. This group, this ragtag group of people, and God's been preparing us for this for years. For years. It's amazing. So, when there is a congregation that is dissing each other, a congregation with this disunity and distrust and disrespect and disorder, a congregation with divisions and rivalries, what's the benefit of being there? Nobody wants to come to that. We get all that thing, all those things in the world. We get all those things at home. A prophet has honor, just not in his own hometown and not with his own family members, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. I remember recommending things to my kids, and they looked at me like I was a Martian, and then somebody else would say the same thing, and it was the smartest thing they had ever heard. Amen? That's okay. I don't care who they get the lesson from. I just want them to get the lesson. But, you know, this division that we allow in the, in the biblical community, could this be the reason why some, so many people are turned off to God because they're turned off to church? I mean, Google it. How do people feel about church? Google that question. Oh, my goodness. Now, when we as a congregation are reflecting our God, we're manifesting the opposite of this. We're reflecting unity and trust and respect and order. And being in the company of people who are committed to reflecting those values is a pleasure. It's so nice to be around people who are pleasant and who want to live in harmony. It's amazing, and it's so lousy to be around people who are frowning all the time and acting mean and, and, and disparaging and they look, walking around looking unhappy. Nobody wants to be walking around Joe Blitzfliff, the guy who's walking around with a cloud of rain cloud over his head. Nobody wants to be around that crap. I have completely disengaged myself from people who are dramatic, don't want them in my life. Because it's draining. I drain myself enough. I don't need anybody else around to help. Amen? Amen? Now, when we think of an idea, though, like community, we think about a bigness that's impossible to change. Well, I call this entity thinking. I remember when I was engaged to be married, and it was apparent to people that I was marrying a person outside my race. And when I asked their concern, the constant refrain was, well, society says. Well, society says. One of my uh, basketball coaches in college used to toy with me all the time, and if he saw me 
uh, in the company of a white girl, he would, say, he would just laugh and he'd get real red in the face. And I'd say, what's wrong, man? He'd say, why, why can't you just be with your own kind? <laughs> now, he was kidding, kind of. <laughs> but that's what these people were saying to me. And, you know, I kept wondering who society is. I wondered if society was going to pay my bills. Because if I have to listen to this entity called society, I think they ought to be doing something for me. I was asked, well, what about the kids in an interracial marriage? Society doesn't like interracial kids. I said, society doesn't like kids, period. But that's beside the point. Once again, I wanted to know if society was going to raise my kids. Society didn't change a single diaper of one of my kids. Community is not such a big idea once you realize what it is really. Community is a set of agreements among individuals. Individuals change communities much more than communities change individuals. I don't believe you heard me, so I'm going to say that again. Individuals change communities much more than communities change individuals. In 1 Corinthians, Paul isn't just talking to individuals about individual conduct, although he's certainly doing that. One Christian taking another Christian to court. Women in the church rebelling against authority. Individuals engaged in pagan practices after becoming Christians. A man in the church having sex with his mother-in-law with the practice being condoned by church members. Abuses during the Lord's Supper celebration. People showing up late for church service. People coming in the church drunk. The rich elite sitting in one area, the box seats, and the poor sitting in another area, the bleachers, the triclinium and the atrium. The refusal to share food with each other. Lording a spiritual gift over others as if there's a right and a wrong spiritual gift. These were some of the individual maladies. Isn't this exactly what we experience in the world today, especially in the United States? And unsuccessfully, and for years, we have been attacking this problem as a society and as as communities, and the result has been there are no results. Well, you know, we need to change as a society. We need to change as a community. We've been hearing that same crowd. We've been hearing that for 65 years. And what has happened? Nada. It's worse. Why? Because you can't attack these problems on the societal and the community level. It has to be one individual at a time changing what that individual is thinking and what that individual is willing to do. That other crap has not worked. When individuals blame a nameless, faceless entity like society and community for their issues, it absolves them from the personal responsibility to fix a problem that their individual decisions are creating. We can choose not to be racist. We can choose not to be elitist. We can choose not to be poor. We can choose not to settle for less than our best. As individuals, we can change. We have will. And when we make a change as individuals, it has a ripple effect on those around us, societies and communities included. You know, there's a passage in the Bible that talks about how women can change men with their mouth shut, right? And, you know, when women have the gift of repetition, and thank God they do because that makes them great teachers, because 
a guy will teach his kids how to make up their bed, and then he'll say, okay, I want you to do this for the rest of your life. Right, you get it? And the kids will shake their head, and the next day the bed won't be made. Right? But the wife will come in and say, come on, make your bed. And she'll do it a thousand times, and then finally on the thousand and first time, it'll catch on for the kid. That gift of repetition gone bad is nagging. And when women nag men, men don't want to do anything they're saying. But what happens when women change men with their mouth shut? That's amazing. And I remember I would watch, I remember that uh, my son's mom started working out. And I wasn't working out. I was fat. I working out. And I'm watching her, and all of a sudden, like, after about four weeks, she was getting some guns, right? She had a little definition, a little cut. And I thought, man, that's pretty cool. And she didn't say one thing to me about, you ought to work out too, even though I know she was thinking it, right? She was thinking, uh, uh. So I finally said, hey, who is that person that you work out with? And she said, her name is Nassim. I said, you got a business card? And she gave me the business card. Nassim had a picture of her as a fat girl and then her in a bikini. And I thought, that's exactly what I want. I want to go from the fat guy to the bikini. Now, I didn't, I didn't wear that to the beach, you understand. I just would wear it around the house. But, <laughs> but she changed me without opening her mouth, you see. Influence. Very influential. Amazing. What we do as individuals has a ripple effect on other people where they see us doing stuff and they want to emulate it. And that's amazing. That happens in societies, that happens in communities. And we stop. One person stops being racist. It affects others. Paul wasn't just talking to the Corinthian believers, though, about their individual conduct. He was also talking to them about the effect their conduct had on the community. And Paul was afraid that their conduct would discourage unbelievers from wanting to be Christians. That is my deepest fear as a Christian, that I would do something to discourage an unbeliever from being a Christian. Paul was talking about the chaos built into the Corinthian church worship services that was absolutely not at all reflective of the Lord. So as we study the next passage, we're going to see Paul teach the elitists how to treat the body. Because it matters how we treat our physical body, but it also matters how we treat the members of the body of Christ. And what what the treatment expectation of God is, is edification, that we do things to build each other up and to edify each other. In Baram Ministries, I appreciate your excellent individual choices. We have a fine community. Let's keep it up. And we will not rest on our laurels. We will not relax because we're doing well. Because it only takes one bad apple to poison a whole barrel of apples. So we're going to keep on making great choices one choice at a time. We're going to make our Savior proud. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, the closing moments of our study today are for 
anyone who doesn't have a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. What he wants from you is that you make the most important decision of your life. Well, what does the Lord Jesus Christ, the sovereign God of the universe, think of you? Through the prophet Isaiah, in chapter 64, verse 8, it says this, O Lord, you are our father, and we are the clay, and you are the potter, and all of us are the work of your hands. You are special to God. But my question for you is, is God special to you? Here are seven things for you to consider if you're seeking a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Point one, there is a God and he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. The first four words of the Bible confirm his existence. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says this, In the beginning, God. Our God isn't shy at all about telling you who he is. Joel chapter 2, verse 27 says this, I am the Lord your God, and there is no other God. One and only one God. Point two, the Creator created you. You are one of the Lord's creatures, and He is your Creator. You are a work of art. John chapter 1, verse 3 says this, All things came into being through the Lord, God the Son, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. The Lord had a purpose in mind when he created you. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says, Then God the Father said, Let us, referring to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, make man in our image and according to our likeness. You are a spiritual being, and as such, you require a spiritual life. Point three, God has a plan for all mankind. God is organized. He is not a God of confusion. Acts chapter 2, verse 23 tells us that the earth and the universe were created by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God the Father. God made all of his decisions in eternity past, and we watch them unfold every day. Point four, God has a personal plan for you. Because God created you, God knows you intimately, and he knows you by name. Matthew chapter 10 verse 10 says or Matthew chapter 10 verse 30 says this the very hairs on your head are all numbered God custom made you and designed a life especially for you Point 5 God reveals himself in ways that make sense to human beings God wants you to know him and so he's not hiding from you Beth Midler was wrong. God is not watching us from a distance. God is not hard to get to know. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says this, Since the creation of the world, the Lord's invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his deity keep on being clearly seen by everyone, being understood even through what has been made as reflected in the things of nature, so that all mankind are without excuse in the matter of knowing of the existence of the Lord. God does not work in mysterious ways. God works in entirely predictable ways that are easily visible to mankind. Point six, God has an enemy, Satan, who does not want you to get to know God. Satan does everything he can to keep you ignorant about God, including making you sleepy during Bible study. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says this, The God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel message, so they might not see the glory of Christ, who is the exact reflection of God the Father. Are you aware of the ways Satan is lying to you about God? And point seven, you owe God a hearing. Since God created you, you at least ought to see who he is and listen to him a little bit. He has placed a desire inside of you to know what is beyond yourself and what is beyond the life that is visible to you. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says this, The Lord has made everything appropriate in its time, and he has also set a desire for a knowledge of eternity in everyone's heart. Do you spend any of your time getting to know God. You have 168 hours a week. So there's nothing more important for you in this life than a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 verse 12 says this, whoever receives him, to them the Lord Jesus Christ gave the right to become children of God, children of God the Father, even to those who believe in Jesus Christ's name. So, Acts chapter 16 verse 31 Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. But heed the warning in John 3.36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see eternal life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. Consider these things and then get to know the Lord today. Do it now. Believe and you will be saved. Well, we close with music. Once you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he protects your salvation for all eternity. John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28 say this, My sheep, believers in Christ, hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. John 10, 28, And I, the Lord Jesus Christ, give eternal life to believers in Christ, the resurrection life, and they will never perish and no one ever can snatch them out of my hands. What can separate you from God's unconditional love? Let's hear June Murphy sing about it. But the answer is, hint, hint, nothing. Oh, 
should be worried. That was awesome. Very good. Thank you, June. The closing doxology of praise to our God is the biblical verses for that very song. Romans 8.37, in every situation imaginable, believers in Christ keep on overwhelmingly conquering through the Lord who gives, who loves us unconditionally. Romans 8.38, And I, Paul, am convinced that neither death nor life, nor elect angels who wouldn't, nor principalities, demons, and fallen angels who couldn't, nor things present, 
nor things to come, nor powers, Romans 8.39, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to sever us from the unconditional love of God, the Father, who is for us through our union with Christ Jesus, our Lord. Who can separate us from the unconditional love of God? No one, ever. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we thank you for loving us, and we thank you for all you do for us, and including the things that you give us that are tribulation, because we know tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance produces proven character. Proven character gives us a hope that does not disappoint, and we know that if you didn't give us the challenges in life, that we would do nothing. So we appreciate that you give us those things to bring out the best in us, the creative in us, and give us the chance to count on you when our human strength isn't enough. We just pray as we go out this week and face the challenges that we face, that you make our spiritual eyes alert to the unbelievers in our periphery who we can bring the gospel message to, to the believers in our periphery who can, we can bring the word to, and that you help us through all of our challenges because we know that the big things and the little things in our lives are important to you. We ask for your continued assistance through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.